3: Real noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
2: Start recording. All right, hello and welcome back to the Thistle Scottish Rugby Podcast. It has been a wee while since we've been with you in a mixture of technical failures and COVID 19 getting in the way, but we are back. We are recording remotely and I am joined as ever. My, my faithful steeds matt and alan matt how are you bud
3: yeah third time lucky you know hopefully we're this is kind of the start of something you know we're actually going to produce a, an episode so I'm, I'm i'm potentially quite excited
2: yeah you, d- you never want to get too excited we did record for i think one hour and 10 minutes last week for me to then misplace the uh the file which also had just been recorded with terrible sound quality as well so it was a uh, it was a, it was a bad day for me to be perfectly honest. Um, um, Alan, how are you how are you getting on? Yeah, good. Still a bit bitter about you destroying
0: all the evidence of last week's pod, which was uh, which was great. But um, no, coming into this week, I've got I've got a real high end quiz. Uh, I think it's one the fans are going to really like.
2: Oh yeah, what, what the um? What's the topic?
0: The topic is Scottish rugby's favourite stadiums. I'll leave it there.
3: That sounds great.
0: And and actually, least favourite stadiums. Sorry, forgot to add the second part of the quiz.
2: (laughs) All right, well, that is certainly something to look forward to. Um, We'll go through an awful lot before that point. We're going to start off by talking a little bit about today's interesting news that the um, Six Nations looks like it could be potentially delayed and it's starting next year. To try and avoid um, financial crisis across the um, the unions, um, we'll then look back at um, Glasgow and Edinburgh's Pro results um, from the last couple of weeks, and any other comings and goings of the uh, of what's been happening at the two Pro clubs. We'll then look ahead. Scotland will be naming their squad for the upcoming range of international games um, next week, so we will put all of that into context and talk about Scotland. And then we will come back and finish off with Alan's quiz. Uh, Before we do that, thanks very much for everybody who has um, already subscribed to our brand new newsletter. That comes out every Monday morning. If you're interested in our ramblings being in your inbox at 8 a.m. every Monday morning, get yourself onto Substack and type in Thistle Scottish Rugby Podcast. Um, Substack, just chuck it into Google and the Thistle and you will find it. Or if you follow us on Twitter at Pod. Or on Instagram, thistle-rugby-pod, you will see us plugging away to try and get that. It's a very fun take at Scottish Rugby every week. So get that in your inbox. Um, So to kick things off, the CEO of the Six Nations um, gave an interview this morning where he talked about potentially delaying the beginning of the, uh, the tournament next year to ensure that fans could participate in um, some way putting that into context of scottish rugby a couple of weeks ago um the ceo mark dodson said that without fans they were looking at SRU you were looking at a potential 40 million pound shortfall or lo- loss of revenue should i say um from the rugby budget um matt what did you make of that um news this morning
3: yeah it's obviously a pretty big blow um and I suppose it kind of even calls into question um, just how the Autumn Nations Cup is going to work as well. Um, I mean, I, I suppose there's not much you can do if if um, the the government says that there's going to be no fans. Um, I suppose the difference is with with the Autumn Nations Cup, whatever wherever it's going to be called, the fact that you could, you know, it's still kind of a I suppose pay per view in terms of it's going to be on Amazon, so it's not going to be free-to-air, whereas with the Six Nations, you you don't obviously have that that option.
0: Where they got the sort of 40 million from, though, because I was trying to sort of work it out, and I guess if um, you have Scotland would have three matches in the Six Nations, so three matches where you'd have 60,000 people coming in in sort of a perfect scenario. And I guess if you, if you sort of assume that they're getting around about sort of Sort of seventy pounds from each person that takes you to about five million a match. So I can see sort of where some of the impact is coming from, but I wasn't quite clear kind of where the sort of full impact is. But you know, ultimately for the SOU, it's it's a big it's a big chunk of change. And you know, if ultimately you know delaying it till sort of May or June means that they can get more people in the stadium, then it feels like a bit of a no brainer. you know, ultimately, you know, there is something quite nice about the Six Nations happening in sort of February and March, but, you know, better to have some vans in than none,
3: right? They've got the, uh, they've got card machines now at Murrayfield, don't they? So that's, you know, per person, the, the uplift, the conversion is absolutely massive, or so I've been led to believe.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Huge, huge, uh, I think av- average um, revenue per, per customer on tenants is now up to about 20, 25 pounds. So it's so a great,
3: Great. We <laughs> wouldn't buy even many beers, to be fair, at, at Murrayfield. Wouldn't buy many tenants. And they always give it in the plastic bottles as well, which I, I don't know. I kind of I'm not a fan of that. I want to
0: But I guess looking back to so sort of this the autumn Nations Cup, as you said, it's you know it looks like it's there's no chance that any fans are going to be in any in any stadium in in the UK. I would imagine.
2: Yeah, and I think that also. Probably contributes to the 40 million pound figure. I know the SRU um, had a proposal into the Scottish government to still try and get around 20,000 people into Murrayfield for the autumn nations. I mean, that's I can absolutely not going to happen. You know, the central belt is now in significant lockdown um, in hospitality areas. So that's a huge loss of revenue for them. So it's um, yeah, it's a very precarious, um, precarious place to be. Um, but the SIU, I'm, I'm sure you guys have all seen this and I'm, many of you may well have signed up. The SIU have um, come up with one revenue raising weeds, which is a new membership um, service um, where you can get sort of different tiers um, at the lowest end, a newsletter, if you want to get something from them rather than from us. Um, but at the top end and possibly the most controversial of these, you can pay for access to the ballot for these tickets at the Autumn Nations Cup. I mean, if, I imagine if you've paid that 34 quid a year right now, you're not feeling too good about that investment. Um, Alan, you took quite a close look at this for the newsletter a couple of weeks ago.
0: Yeah, I guess, you know, if you, if you go back to sort of, you know, as Ed, why they're doing it, it's, you know, broadly, there's, there's very little ways for the SU to be sort of driving driving revenue. So trying to sort of create this kind of paid Access to, to tickets, I guess, as a way of sort of bringing getting cash in the door. And I did see something on um, social media today about them gaining sort of six thousand members. So, but I'm not sure whether that was uh, inclusive of sort of the the free package. Um, but no, so I think you know, as you said, top tier thirty four quid gets you basically in the ballot for any Scotland games this season if they uh, if they allow fans in plus you get your your name adorned on the on the player's player's tunnel which uh, we're sort of excited to see what um the kind of best best name is i think we will obviously try and cut out like the really obvious one like no one's getting like you know chairman mao through but uh, <laughs> I, I, re- I reckon you'll have like a couple that will be just really subtle but we will get it through
3: yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see kind of like Carol Baskin or or something on it. Um, did uh, has any other union done something similar to this that we've seen, or is it is it just a, an an Sru uh, initiative so far? Do we know?
0: it? Good question. Actually, I uh, I don't know. I'll have to have to take a little. I have to take a little look. I don't really know what the uh, whether the, the other unions have got a similar sort of structure in terms of how they how they allocate tickets. I know we, in England, it's almost exclusively done via sort of debentures de and clubs, so they don't really have this sort of similar kind of, you know, wh- wh- whereas for Scotland for the autumn internationals do
2: obviously do it via sort of season tickets and sort of general sales. I think for Scotland, I think particularly over the last three or four years, the season pass has been so successful that that's almost kind of replaced the debenture type model that I guess um, the stadium was first built on and the RFU's built upon. Um, so yeah I don't actually know what sort of membership there is but I think for them it's when I was speaking to somebody in in the SIU they're saying that a lot of it is to do with preparing to fill a stadium when they're given the opportunity to so a lot of it's track is track and trace you know it's, it's it's making sure you've got a database of people who you know who they are where they live um so if you only get a week's notice from the scottish government that you're allowed five ten fifteen thousand people into one of these matches coming up in the next sort of ten weeks they can fairly quickly turn that around safe in the knowledge that they roughly know who is going to be there so as well as obviously revenue raising it's i guess it's fairly smart to get everything in-house and you know get your house in order that so if you're allowed to sort of switch on the revenue tabs i.e sales you can do it quite quickly and effectively
0: i guess i i, I agree and, and obviously that latter part around about around about knowing about being able to get to kind of the tickets allocated quickly and knowing who's in the stadium are all sort of I guess, fair points i guess you didn't need to charge people for that though right
2: They could have just settled for their free personalised personalised newsletter, which is essentially just going to be like a Microsoft Word mail merge with their name on the top of it. So, well, exactly, and
0: I guess we 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 were sort of joking around the fact that so the the top membership is the Nevis, which makes sense; it's largest mountain in Scotland, and then the second tier, which is the, you know, your £19 tier, is, uh, is named the McDo, which is the second largest mountain in Scotland. And then the last package, which is that is that free package that you reference, which gets you the, uh, the highly anticipated, personalised newsletter, second best newsletter about Scottish rugby, is uh, the Lomond, which is the 182nd highest mountain in Scotland. But, to be fair to them, the third highest mountain in Scotland is like Ray Rick, which doesn't have like just quite the same ring to it as the other two
3: i bet you've pronounced that wrong as well almost
0: almost certainly
3: almost certainly the, the, just to correct you on the personalized thing you're also you can also tick a box as to whether you want glasgow updates or edinburgh updates so you know it, it goes beyond just your name
2: well then um, as a data gathering exercise, I suppose chucking in a little bit of personalization is the least they can do. But we obviously have to keep a very close eye on the uh, the latest lockdown um, restrictions because it certainly isn't looking fantastic um, for people's um, ability to go out the house and congregate in large numbers um, in the coming weeks. So it feels to me like we will be very, very lucky to see any fans this side of the, this side of, the, of Christmas, and I guess hopefully a little bit of listening for the Six Nations starting sometime in the in the early spring. Um, but from that sort of quite dour um, prognosis of the world, I suppose we get to look back at what was also a really dour weekend of um, Scottish rugby. We're going to start by talking about Glasgow, then we're going to talk about Edinburgh, and then a little bit of Scotland at the end. But um, should we start at the sports current? Um, where Glasgow seemed to always start their Pro 14 campaigns. They kicked off against Connett. And um, what was actually, um, I know you were watching it, um, Alan, a, a pretty entertaining loss, but a loss nonetheless, 28-24, and one which seemed um, quite familiar in terms of Scotland playing against Irish teams in that, Glasgow made lots of mistakes, and and Connick took their chances. Is that a fair reflection of the match?
0: I think that's probably a caveat to to the statement. Um, entertainment, entertaining match. There was an entertaining second half. I think the the first half was was some of the most sort of dire and uh, uh, frustrating sort of rugby I've watched in a very very long time. And I think to to your point, I, I think you know Glasgow. Will leave being highly frustrated because ultimately, you know, I think that they had more opportunities to to win that to to sort of take points than Connacht did, and and actually, ultimately, I think it was their discipline that really sort of let them down. There was just a lot of key moments where Glasgow just sort of gave away quite needless penalties, and it was, it was a bit annoying because actually, I think there was there was enough in that game, especially to to sort of know, being quite optimistic about, about the season, I think, you know, we'll probably talk about it in a bit of detail, but, you know, Hugh Jones at 15, you know, great to see him kind of continue on some of the form he sort of uh, showed glimpses of in the 1892 or matches, 1872 matches, sorry, not 1892. Um, it's such a big fixture, you can't get the name wrong. I know, it's like 1066, like you just can't get out of your head sometimes. Um, but no, obviously, Hugh, Hugh Jones probably, you know, on reflection was probably the star man on the Glasgow side. But I actually thought in the pack that people like Matt Ferguson, Scott Cummings, and even sort of Fraser Brown were sort of lo- looking fairly strong. And so, um, I, whilst obviously it's disappointing to lose away, away at home at connect I, I actually don't think Danny Wilson's going to be that upset with the performance.
3: I think um, th- there's sort of a bit of a as far as I can see it, like a bit of a negative um, attitude around Glasgow at the moment, externally, at least amongst fans. And I think a lot of that is due to the fact that, you know, in recent years, you've seen Finn uh, Hogg and and Johnny Gray leave. Um, and I think, you know, that there's been a bit of disappointment that Dave Rennie has been replaced by Danny Wilson. Um, but I kind of look at that Glasgow team and I, I get the sense that like, you know, the likes of sort of Fraser Brown, um, even Ryan Wilson, um, you know, Keble, uh, Cummings, they're the kind of guys who actually might thrive under that sort of um, preconception from people. Um, and I, I kind of feel like, yeah, particularly that, that first half was very disappointing. But I think there was enough in the second half um, to sort of make me think, you know, this Glasgow team might... Use that to their to their advantage, um, and there's been quite a lot of talk about Danny Wilson coming in and maybe playing like a more conservative or more practical um, style of rugby. Um, and it, it'll be interesting to see whether Glasgow can start sort of implementing that.
0: No, agreed, and I think you know there was sort of hints of it at the weekend. But I think when you do look at that potential starting front five of Kebble Brown. Ferguson, Gray, Cummings, and then off the bench you'll have Turner, um, Saluki, and you know maybe like Harley or Nakawara, right? Like that in terms of a foundation for that team, like that is very strong. And you know, I think hopefully if if Danny Wilson can like can get Hastings really managing that team effectively, which I think he has done in patches over the last sort of year or two, but. But not at a great consistency, then I, I generally think Glasgow could be a, you know, be a, be a pretty good team this year.
2: I think, yeah. I, I think you're, you're probably right. And we've already talked about it. It's, it's been a a man who's been under great sort of um, pressure for the last couple of, um, couple of years, but Hugh Jones coming in at 15 and, uh, Scoring one, giving the assist for um, Griggs' uh, other try as well. But Matt, I know you've got a, a view on this. Um, is it good news that Hugh Jones is playing well at fullback for Glasgow?
3: I mean, if you look at his his try that scored at the weekend in particular, like it it, it was great to see him, um, you know, in full flight, beating men, running good angles, doing all the things that we know he is undoubtedly capable of doing. It's just sort of that that question of what what's the point if he's doing it from fullback um from a Scottish perspective because ultimately he is not going to play fullback and he's probably pretty far from uh, I would think being in sort of Townsend's mind as a as a fullback option um you just sort of w- would much rather see him cutting those kind of lines because I, I kind of think that the the good bits that he's doing, he still could be doing from 13. It's it's not as if the positional change is sort of um, afforded him like completely different. I I, I appreciate that you get a bit more space at fullback, um, but I think the good bits are more sort of in midfield and, and in um, sort of a bit more structured play. It, it's, as I say, it's just whether th- there's much point playing him at fullback from a Scottish perspective, which, you know, ultimately Glasgow and Edinburgh do... Do feed into that.
0: I think I think you absolutely nailed nailed it when you said his what he did well at the weekend wasn't because he was at fifteen. It was the sort of stuff that potentially you could have done from thirteen. Right, Those was kind of um, those breaks and sort of general kind of running play. I think actually, you know, looking back on it, some of his sort of clearing kicks, for example, were actually you know relatively average and. You know, you're, you're completely right in the sense that there's there's absolutely zero chance that Jones is going to be starting at 15 for Scotland in a big game. And even if Hogg's injured, Kinghorn has done enough over the last couple of years to you know, to really prove that he is kind of the
3: next cab off the rank for that position. I, I even feel Darcy Graham would be ahead of Hugh Jones at the moment as a as a fullback option. If you you know if you're down to almost the the bare bones
0: and Maitland. To be fair, you know, <laughs> just no, you know, no, no. not 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 that we want to name every player that could be better could play ahead of Jones at fifteen for Scotland, but you know, fundamentally, Maitland is you know, and he showed it against R- Racing like a week and a half ago, right? He's so like dependable,
2: and and that's across wing and fifteen. Absolutely. Um, so Glasgow open up their account with a loss over in Conat, but they have brought in some reinforcements um, to the back row in particular. They first signed Tongan back row. I'm gonna get this wrong. Fotu um, Lokotui, and then just today they have um, further strengthened. They've brought in Samoan international Ioni, on a loan deal. From uh, flanker, I suppose this is to address what was a weakness at the start of the season, and has then been exacerbated by um, the. Uh, well, Bruce Vlockhart has um, has is taking an extended leave from rugby, and that Australian lad who got injured and never really played um, has also left the club. I've forgotten his name. <laughs> Matt, go on.
3: Uh- Jale Um that's the guy. So, yeah, I mean, I think just just to to take the the arrival first, um, you know, this this is a guy who's who's played, um, my ten ITM Cup rugby in in um, New Zealand, most recently at Doncaster Knights, um, and he's he's got a handful of caps for for Tonga. Um, I think, kind of, maybe at the uh, at the outset, it, it seems like. A bit underwhelming, um, particularly given that Glasgow fans seem to be crying out for back row reinforcements in in recent months. Um, but but I do think that you you've got to take into account the the current environment that we're in, um, the difficulty in getting new players over, um, and you know we we speaking to, speaking to to someone who um, has coached against him before as saying that he. Is a really like in the championship, um, saying he's like a really aggressive, combative player who Glasgow probably got on a reasonably good, um, deal. And I, and, and I appreciate that maybe there's a sense that there could have been some, some young Scottish guys, uh, pushing for that kind of spot, but, um, you know, I, I can understand why the signing was was made, and and hopefully he can make you know a, a, a decent impression in the coming months.
0: Yeah, exactly. You know, I think we've sort of said before. You know, it, I, I can't imagine he's on a lot of money at all, and you know, it sounds like it's a bit of a sort of a money ball signing where you know they've seen some potential or, or the, you know, he's been going to be given a specific job, you know, they they need someone who can get them kind of a bit of uh, front football and uh, they think he's someone who can sort of do a job for this kind of turbulent part of um, the, uh, I guess, Glasgow Warrior um, journey. And then obviously the, with TJ Ione today, I guess again in a slightly different light, potentially feels like it's cover
3: for Bruce Bruce Flockhart. I, I'm uh, I, I'm more positive about the TJ Ioanni signing, um just because uh he's got really good premiership experience. And I think when he was at sale in particular, which is I admittedly mean, a few years ago, like he he was a a pretty um highly valued, like, you know, well considered player at that club. Um and from watching him play in like snippets i think he he could be like a pretty good player and and it is a loan signing as well it's not something permanent but i don't know maybe it just gives a bit of a lift and to the club and kind of shows that, that glasgow is still in the market they're still able to to attract players um it's it's a it's a shame about um the two guys that have left i think bruce lockhart obviously we we don't know the exact reasons why but he was a guy who had been sort of through the, the Scotland East groups, through the academy, had his time in Nice. Um, and when he, you know, got a shot at Glasgow, looked pretty promising. Um, Jale, you know, is, I think he was signed as like a bit of an unknown quantity and, and potentially a, a, a bit of a diamond in the rough. It, it's just a shame. It seems as if injuries have just robbed him of any chance to, to, to make an impression
0: sounds like Bruce Lockhart is, is it's more temporary than a sort of permanent leaving of Glasgow. Or have I read that wrong, wrongly? I,
3: I think you're I right. Think yeah.
2: They're being pretty tight-lipped about it. There's not an awful lot of information out there beyond the fact that he's taken a sort of extended leave from the game. So there's no use speculating around what that might be. And I, I agree with you, Matt, that when he did have his chances last year, he looked like a really interesting and exciting sort of young young prospect so I hope he does come back in and I suppose being able to replace him with a loan deal with somebody who's experienced as aone or you know bring someone like that into the squad is probably pretty useful for Glasgow I agree with that the
3: the only thing I would say is that signing a couple of um, uh, you know Tongan Simone international um, in in light of the fact that Glasgow have let go Matt Smith and Adam Ash. um, I don't know. I just don't, I don't think, I think Matt Smith in particular will think, you know, like whenever I played for Glasgow, I did a pretty good job. I got called into the Scotland squad once. Glasgow have then gone around, gone about and signed a guy who's been playing for most recently, Doncaster, who like are, are a mid table championship side presumably Matt Smith probably wasn't on lows and loads of money so I don't think the kind of the budget difference would be that big i I, I think he could feel pretty pissed off by the whole signing is my it's kind of my one of my broader concerns I suppose
0: no I think I think you're absolutely right and I think it's um you know I imagine if you're a young sort of back row in the sort of Super Six as, as well, you would think that you know whilst obviously COVID in general is is a pretty shit situation for an aspiring rugby player, you know potentially it's going to open up sort of opportunities for you to sort of get game times, so which potentially sort of a bit disheartening to um, to see sort of contracts being sort of handed out to um, sort of older and, and non sort of scholars qualified players.
2: Um, <laughs> Traditional sort of, no matter what's going on in the world, there's always room to have a sort of a real gripe about um, Scotland's pathway and bringing through young players and whether things are getting in the way or not. No, absolutely. I think I think you're right. I
0: I guess, and again, it's difficult because I know the you are obviously under sort of financial pressure. I, I'm a little bit less excited about the T G Ioni um, signing. Just you know, I, I, and this is mainly, I was just sort of taking a look and at the back end of the season, even when London Irish were, were doing the kind of rotating, rotation of their squad, he, he only seemed to do sort of two, two appearances off the bench. And, you know, whether that's due to injuries or, or whatever, it, it doesn't appear that he's played that much consistently for London Irish over the last two years. So it feels a little bit like we're getting someone who was very much kind of a bit part player in either a championship or the premiership sort of Tishapura's side.
2: Well, only time will tell how much he is used when he comes into the Glasgow squad. They face off this weekend against the Scarlets. A little little Sunday evening treat, a 5pm kickoff uh, for their first game at Scottsdale of the season um and sorry,
3: the 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 other signing we didn't talk about with Glasgow was young uh Connor De Bruyne
2: of course I've completely I've I've I've, uh, I've jumped on so Connor De Bruyne who for people who don't know the young young uh, guy high school kid in South Africa not unlike Jordan Venter who came over to um, Edinburgh recently or was announced to come to Edinburgh recently now we spotted
3: or they're mates that was the whole thing ah they're mates that, that well there we go That jordan venter sort of did a, a few edinburgh fans are mostly following him now on social media he posted Conor De Bruyne's, like his um sort of signing announcement through his now his agency eSportive. And um, so that that was how it came out. So I don't know, either they play against each other same school, that that kind of thing.
2: well exactly. And then uh, so we tweeted the image um of this and said looks like another school uh South African schoolboy is heading over to Scotland. Um we then found or somebody sent us a video link to his um uh, his highlights package it was on YouTube, which intriguingly listed him as um south african stroke british um so there was an awful lot of speculation that he is scottish qualified and we then managed to get confirmation right from the top connor's mum responded to us on twitter confirming that um her dad so connor's grandfather was a uh, born and bred glaswegian so therefore connor is um, scottish qualified and he will be joining the glasgow academy um, when he finishes school this summer. So there has been absolutely not not a peep out of Glasgow or the SRU to confirm any of this, but I'm taking his mum's word on this. So um, I guess they'll have to confirm it at some stage.
3: Yes, it's, 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 it's an interesting one. I, I think it's probably something that gets up people's goat just because, I don't know, that there is an academy in place there is a pathway and to bring in a south african who admittedly is scots qualified i don't know uh, just something about it s- slightly um no like grates with me i feel that um that the academy system clearly well, i don't know it, it implies the academy system is not fit for for purpose to me. But, but once again, I I do get that like Scotland has a tiny player pool, only two pro clubs. You've got to, you know, capitalize on, on any opportunity that, that that you can.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think when we talked about it, um, when we also talked about Jordan Venter, I mean, these are relatively cheap, um, cheap signings um they've obviously done something to um to uh, to catch the eye of any sort of selectors or pros down there and sort of come over on academy contracts and see how they go in the scottish system um so I, I do i do agree with you i think it's a little bit of a funny way and if i was a 17 year old scott that was you know playing under 18s and was eyeing up a super six contract you would find it a bit funny but we've kind of got to play in the world in which we're living in. And he is, you know, Scottish qualified by the rules. So, you know, maybe he really he's grown up really wanting to play for Scotland. What do we know?
0: Maybe he's been, you know, last two years, stays up every Friday, Saturday night, Glasgow zebra, just, you know, not interested in like girls going out wherever he's from in South Africa. Just an absolute kind of hardcore Glasgow ultra. We don't know.
2: I think that's almost certainly true. I think that's exactly what he is. Um, so yeah, Connor, Connor De Bruyne coming along. Matt, did you have something else to say about young Connor?
3: No, I just think it's kind of a, a broader point in all these signings that um, I know the Super Six is in its infancy, but the, these signings would suggest that um, the, the sort of the, the head coaches at Edinburgh and Glasgow, you know. Don't, don't see Super 6 as, as fit for purpose yet. Not to say it's still and it's you know still pretty immature competition, but it's uh, it's it's quite interesting.
0: I, I guess potentially the argument against the back would be any of the players that they thought were ready for professional rugby were already called up. Maybe like who?
3: <laughs> like
0: people like Conor Boyle and Rory Darge and Rufus McLean, I guess they, you know, these are players that either off the back of Scotland under 20 or Super 6 have been identified by Edinburgh Glasgow as players that they believe are ready to step up into that pro environment. Now, ultimately, all those decisions were made back in sort of May, June time. And, and I imagine with, with no rugby between then and now, no one's position on whether a player is ready to go up into the pro setup has changed. So ultimately, then, if you need to get players for a pro rugby team, the only place you could, in theory, go is outside of Scotland.
3: Yeah, yeah, that, that's fair.
0: The the last piece on Glasgow, just before we go, is um, Glasgow kit. Maybe, maybe the maybe the hottest merch drop of drop of the month. I'm thinking, I absolutely loved it. I
2: think it's the best bit of kit from a scottish pro team or possibly even the scottish national side in a few years i think less is always more with these things and i they think they've um they've done well and i think one of the biggest wins is that they've sp energy networks have obviously listened to us and fans of the pod to say you've got to you know integrate your logo a little bit more into the colors can't just be slapping on this giant green box. And that's just made such a big difference, not having that like really minging SP Energy Network's um, logo on the front.
0: Yeah, the green and yellow on like black was one of the most heinous combos on any sort of sports kit globally. And yeah, and now they've made it white, it just looks so much better.
3: There's, there's still a wee bit of tartan on the sleeve and on the bottom of the shirt, which on the on the home shirt, which I'm not a fan of because the the white shirt, the away strip, doesn't have any of that. And it looks so much better
2: for it. I do, get, I do get the feeling that somebody at Macron just they can't quite ever step away. You know, they're like, this is looking great. And it's the same way that the national sides are like, have we thought about a gold bit of trim? And it's just like, that's unnecessary. And it's the same way that they've sort of just been like, Nah, let's just put a wee bit of tartan in, and it, yeah, it does. T- it does take away from it a little bit.
1: If
0: we're nitpicking, I'm also just—is not? There's like some writing kind of on like the back of the shirt, which is like we defend our home. Just like it's just not needed. Just keep it simple. Just like, but I know I appreciate that potentially I'm not the target audience for buying kit, so that is fair.
2: I I do agree with that, though. The the sort of, like, the importing of the marketing guff from the press release onto the actual strip is really, really unnecessary. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
3: Whatever it takes, though. Hashtag whatever it takes.
0: Hashtag whatever it takes.
2: So, yeah. But, yeah, they they have begrudgingly done quite well with that one and think they'll probably sell quite a few of those. I actually was just flicking through their Twitter to see what, see if there's anything we've missed. And I think they've launched a training top, which is based on that really nice, like sort of late 90s Glasgow top. You know, the red and blue one had like the Cali 80 logo on it. Oh, that's an elite top. Yeah. So there's they've released a training top that it doesn't look exactly like it, which is what I would want. But they've obviously taken some inspiration from it, which is great to see.
3: Alan, didn't you order a kind of uh, a vintage version of that? But uh, they they didn't have your size. Didn't have the XXXL.
0: (laughs) I think, if I remember correctly, that all they had available was a medium. And whilst I'm not obese, I'm not a medium,
2: so could be an an, an aspirational purchase.
0: There's the sort of aspirational goals and then there's sort of pragmatic, realistic goals, and uh, I don't know that that very much fell into the former. And I'm I'm very much a pragmatic man, so no purchase
2: was not made. All right, well, on that on that uh, on that message, we will leave Glasgow behind. As we say, Scarlet this weekend, coming to Scotland for the first game of the, uh, uh, the first home game of the Pro 12-14 Stroke campaign, 5pm. Um, down the other end of the MA, Edinburgh got off to a really, really miserable start, I think it's safe to say. They went down 25-10 to um, the Ospreys at Murrayfield. They went into the lead, um, and then they didn't score any points, I think for, I think it was 55 minutes. Um, and then ultimately, you know, conspired to to lose 25-10. Um, and this one had the real feel of like, I don't know, are Edinburgh, I'll come to you first, Matt, do you think Edinburgh are, are sort of hungover from their, you know, throwing away their semi against Ulster and then subsequently, you know, getting a bit of a shellacking from Bordeaux and they're just not really at the races for the new season yet?
3: Yeah, I, I think it's just... Um... The, the the nature of the season has just been so bizarre that you obviously had that period of not playing any rugby, and then the eighteen seventy two, and then the semi final and the the quarter final. Um, I I just I kind of get the sense if I was putting myself in an Edinburgh player's shoes, you've gone through that period, and then you've got a two week week and a half um, off season slash preseason and then you're suddenly chucked in again to the resumption of the Pro 14, um, whereas Ospreys obviously didn't have to to go through a lot of that period, had time to completely switch off from the season, know there was a proper end. I, I just think that, that that must have an impact. Um, and you combine that with the amount of injuries that Edinburgh have had to to sort of, you know, key players like, um, or unavailability as well, like, you know, Richie Groom, van der like you just kind of feel I think that there's maybe a bit of an overreaction particularly to this match um, that doesn't quite take into account the circumstances
0: I guess you know if, if the opposition had been Leinster Munster or potentially even Scarlet I'd, I'd probably agree but I guess like Ospreys and you know to be fair to them they 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 had all they had the majority of their sort of heavy heavy hitters, but they've still been a pretty poor team for the last sort of two years, and you know ultimately if Edinburgh are wanting to go you know further than they ever have, which is kind of the narrative you know they're constantly sort of coming out like they've gotta they've gotta be doing so much better <laughs> than they did uh, they did on Saturday night. Um, I get that there was kind of a few there's few injuries, and obviously Bradbury and Crosby went off relatively early, but even then you'd like to think that you know a team that had you know double figures in 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 international caps should be putting away the
2: ospreys at home. I think what I find most um surprising about it is like if this was your first ever game and you didn't really understand, you would think that like it never rained in Edinburgh. Like, they just could not catch anything. The handling from Edinburgh was so, so bad. And you just think, surely Scottish teams should be better in these um, awful conditions because we're, I mean, the number of times they must train in those conditions alone must just be, uh, but then again, I suppose Wales isn't exactly a tropical island, is it?
0: (laughs) No. I guess there was, you know, there's been question marks about, the the leadership within the sort of Edinburgh team and I guess when you look at that squad that was out there last Saturday and you've got people like Rambo and you've got people like Grant Gilchrist you know these are Edinburgh and Scotland captains and you'd like to you'd like to think that these are the sort of people that are going to are strong leaders and going to be able to sort of drive them that high level performance but I know there's been sort of some question marks in the press. I think it was, that was John Barkley in the times was sort of coming out and saying that maybe the culture that Cockrell creates doesn't, doesn't allow for sort of almost
2: like leaders on the pitch.
3: Yeah. It was interesting that because, uh, Cockrell in his interview that where he mentioned the sort of lack of leadership on the off sideline was saying, I really, really want people to challenge me. Um, so, you know, it, it's difficult to, to figure out exactly how that, how that works out. Um, I suppose, like, you know, Gilchrist and, and McAnally, if you just take two people, two examples, like they are experienced guys, but, you know, they're, for, for both Edinburgh and Scotland across the majority of their career, they are not used to winning big games. And I think that's what Cockrell was was getting at. Um, and I think particularly that, and we talked about this before in, in the context of maybe Scotland more, but when things aren't going Scotland or Edinburgh's or, or Glasgow's way. it, it does seem and, and maybe you know Ulster and Bordeaux, are a good example of that that it doesn't seem as if the experienced guys who are in those leadership positions can think on the fly um, and have that ability to really kind of you know grind out a win um, you know regardless of, of how exactly they, they, they get to that point.
2: Yeah, I and mean, we're they're sort of got um they're going to be tested by one of the better teams in the uh, in the division this weekend. They're playing Munster away. So, I mean, what do you think about their chances going into that? Do you think the Ospreys will act as a bit of a wake-up call for them or do you think sort of Edinburgh are going to continue to sort of plod along in this malaise, Alan? I
1: mean, it... You're
0: obviously hoping for something better than last last week. I guess the the concern is with Massa out, and then it looks like Crosby and Bradbury are both going to be out. You know that that gives you you've you've lost a lot of kind of heavy hitters in the back row. Appreciate obviously Watson sort of started on the bench, and Richie was sort of self isolating. So that hopefully with them coming back, you should at least be. As good, if not better than they than, than they had last week. It's starting to worry me that Pergos is potentially the biggest biggest loss that Edinburgh have. It, you know, whilst you know, I know we've got our concerns about Van Der and and obviously Shield and has potential. It almost feels like that back line is just not getting the direction it needs, and especially in a game like last Saturday, where as you said, it's it's, it's raining. <laughs> It's uh it feels like someone like Purgos just direct directing that team was, was just exactly the sort of guy that was lacking.
3: Yeah, I, I actually agree, which I never thought I'd be doing that you sort of be um wishing, you know, more than anything for the return of Pergos. I, I think it's maybe not completely to do with the the back line. I just think it's more the, the control in general. Like I think Pergos out of those nines has probably the best box kick. Um and and as a result, that I, I think when Edinburgh do well and play well, um, a lot of it does revolve around that kick chase and and Pergos being able to sort of organise those those forwards effectively. Because I think I think someone like Nick Groom and I think you probably say this about the other uh, the other nines, um Sheila in particular, I haven't seen much of this nothing guy, but they're probably more running nines than than Pergos is. So I think he kind of sets the tone um, and just provides that kind of direction and and organisation. I
2: think you're absolutely right. Do we we know if Jamie Ritchie is still isolating or is he going to be available for selection this weekend?
0: I haven't seen anything, but I did see indications that Xander Fagerson and Tom Gordon, who were also self-isolating last weekend... Will be available this weekend, so I guess on the assumption that he's not having to go into isolation for a, for a two week period um then he
1: should hope, hopefully be be available and I guess it's, it''d be interesting with Munster
0: I, I I did see something today that says that I don't think they trained today because they're waiting for kind of a full round of um, testing to come back, so I think they're getting sort of the full results uh, tomorrow ahead of kind of the game on saturday so um hopefully i guess um well i guess maybe hopefully i was gonna say they hopefully have COVID, but that is very not appropriate um but no it's uh they'll hopefully get that get those back tomorrow and then we can um we can still have the game on saturday
2: it can't be can't believe you're trying to get us cancelled alan by wishing covid on um on people. <laughs> no i I caught myself. It was a, a
0: momentary lapse in a ethical thought.
2: I certainly know that um, the scarlets had one case, but the game against Glasgow is going ahead, and hopefully the Edinburgh Academy have not been out um, on the piss again and um, spreading coronavirus all around the squad. And we will get a game on Saturday night. Since we were talking about um, we were talking about kits with Glasgow there. Edinburgh obviously announced theirs a couple of weeks ago, but they sort of slipped out, um, hoping that nobody would notice. Probably the ugliest training top that we've seen since. Well, it's very similar to that orange and blue strike kit from the sort of like the, uh, the late nineties, early two thousands. It's um, in contrast to the Glasgow stuff, that Edinburgh training top is, um, is one of the worst, isn't
3: it? It, it is it? so bad. Like, it's kind of, it's not quite Dundee United, but it is those kind of colors. Just like, I don't know, there's something about it. And in the, in the, the launch they did, which was with um, Mark Bennett and Andrew Davidson, it, it like, I don't know, it just doesn't seem to like fit them that well. And oh, I reckon they put that on and think, we do not want to be wearing this kind of strip. Like it is terrible.
2: It's going to be the one that will, will be available for like ten quid come May next year because like they've not been able to shift any of it.
0: What well, what was the what was the orange colour again? How did they um, articulate it with the with the original Edinburgh kit? Like burnt, it was it burnt
3: orange? Yeah, it was in the castle, wasn't it? Because of like lava.
2: Yeah, it's, it's burnt orange inspired by the lava of which, you know, Edinburgh is built upon.
0: Literally throw all that stash into the lava, you burn it, burn <laughs> <laughs> it all.
3: It's not as sort if of like people from Edinburgh sort of associate themselves with, you, you know, volcanoes or lava either. It's not like they're sort of going around talking about how that lava runs through their veins or anything. Like, it's just mad.
2: Speak for yourself. You should see my tattoo.
3: Yeah, that's a good point, actually. <laughs> and then um, just talking about kit.
0: biggest piece of news of the week. We will be getting an assigned Chris Dean home shirt sent to us due to our, obviously, uh, sponsorship of his uh, his home shirt last season.
2: Yeah, absolutely. We've been we've been asked if we want a personal message on it as well. So um, I guess I, d- I don't know what we want that to be. Um, something about us being his loyal subjects or something like that. Alan, what do you reckon? Should we do? We could do. We could just put out on Twitter. Funniest give give us and whatever we think's
0: the best. We'll just ask for.
2: Yeah, let's do that. So if you want to. Um, tell us what message you would like from Christine that would be on our shirt that he's got the Edinburgh have got to send us. Uh, I'm looking forward to my conversation with the Edinburgh comms department tomorrow morning already about this. Um, so yeah, we'll put it out on Twitter. If you're listening, let us know what you would like on that shirt and uh, we'll get it done for you. I think Alan, you've got, you've got a space on the wall for it, haven't you? It's like a sort of shrine next to the photos you've got of, of Chris and all the candles and stuff
0: yeah no exactly although I, I i was I was scared that he might just come back with a very painful burn just right on the on on the, on the shirt. It's like you're over thirty, grow up, get over it <laughs> uh, real, real cut real cutting
3: comment but but little didn't you um bump into him recently in in Stockbridge and you sort of uh accosted him when you were maybe feeling the effects of of the night previously?
0: <laughs> this is a good point, actually. I don't think we've discussed this. Yeah, I was I was pretty pretty hungover, um, and was walking with a friend who is not interested in rugby and is actually got zero interest in this podcast. He he, he actually actively doesn't like it. Um, and yet we walked past Christine, and I was like, I'm going to go and speak to him. And my friend was like, That's really embarrassing. You're embarrassing yourself. And I said hi, I got him a hand. He obviously was being COVID secure and was like, I'm not shaking this hungover guy's hand and uh, we parted ways. That was nice.
2: <laughs> uh, you hadn't told us that you'd tried to shake his hand.
0: <laughs> oh, I don't know, yeah.
2: <laughs> Poor bloke. Mate, maybe you are like the start of the chain of people getting COVID within the Edinburgh camp.
0: <laughs> I really, really hope not. To be fair, he was also like, I think is that he was with his other, he was also with his other half and, and a very young child. So it was literally like please get away from me. But no,
2: we uh we move on. Well, using that segue, which I will very much, Alan, uh, we will move on from Edinburgh. As I say, they're playing Saturday evening. There's a sort of five thirty-ish kickoff against Munster over at Toman Park, hoping to get back on the horse after that absolutely shocking game at the weekend. Um Let's very quickly talk about Scotland. Expect the squad to be announced for the various um, games coming up. So as a reminder, they have got Georgia as a warm-up match. And then they're playing Wales in the final game of the Six Nations. And then the Autumn Nations um, Cup kicks off after that as well. Um, So based on everything we've just talked about in Glasgow and Edinburgh, everything we have seen, but also very much on Scots abroad, which is something we keep a very close eye on. Particularly in the newsletter, um, Gregor Townsend has said that he thinks it will be a pretty big squad, given the demands that have been on the players and will be on the players. Because uh, I think there's seven or I think there's seven straight weeks of international rugby, so that might be a, a larger squad. Who do you think we might see making their first um, appearance um, in a Scotland jersey? match?
3: Um, yeah, it'll be really interesting. Obviously, just because there there has been so much more rugby in in England, for instance, um, than than in Scotland. Um, you know, I I, I wouldn't be, I, I, maybe I would be a wee bit surprised, but I think that Cam Hunter Hill down at Saracens um, has done like a, a really good job um, in, in England. I think that. Um, maybe when he first moved down there on this loan move, it was, it was a bit, a bit odd. Um, and you kind of thought that going to that club, he's not going to get much game time considering the the second rows in particular that, that were in front of him, but he seems to be pretty well valued by the side. And, and the fact that he's sort of been, um, playing at both five and six, uh, makes you think that he's got some sort of versatility, um, I also do feel that that there will be some sort of surprise bolter that comes in completely um, out of the blue that we haven't really considered. But I kind of look at the guys who are Scots qualified um, and the likes of Cam Redpath and Fraser Dingwall who have been in England training squads. um, I just kind of get the sense that if Townsend gets in their ear and sort of um, pitches to them, I don't think it would be too much of a stretch to see them coming over and I, th- I think I actually don't think Dingwall's that good but I think Redpath would be a really interesting player to be part of that um Scotland setup
2: Alan what do you reckon any uh, any new faces
0: um I think maybe Tom Gordon might might get in I think he was his form at the back end of last season, and he probably offers something a little bit different to sort of the rest of um, the back. I don't think he'll obviously start in the big games, but I think potentially offers something slightly different to the the other flankers in in the squad. And then I know we sort of chatted a little bit about um, Sam Sam klein but I guess you know after looking to see who fills that that fourth scrum half slot. It, doesn't really feel like there's that much value in taking Perg also out of the Edinburgh setup these days. So, probably, potentially, sort of him or Charlie Sheel or Jamie Doby, there's quite a lot of them that could sort of make their way in.
3: Tom Gordon doesn't even start for Glasgow, though. Like, Christmas hour is starting ahead of him.
0: Tom Undo- Go- I think Tom Gordon would have started this weekend if he wasn't in self isolation.
3: Oh, he yeah, was. Well, yeah, good point.
2: I suppose we're probably taking it as red because it's been so trailed in the media and it's been such a, a cause of excitement. But Duhan, um, Ollie Keble, perhaps Jaco van der Waal also getting their first call-ups into the Scotland squads. I mean, Duhan goes without saying, very excited about that. But w- what do you make of the other
3: two? I, I think in particular having Keble there as your backup behind Roy Sutherland is a, is a it is a sort of big um, upgrade on uh, like Gordy Reed, who it, it may would have been before. Um, I think Yaku is like a, a good enough number three. Um, and I think ultimately he, he plays in quite a different style to, he's more of that, I think Duncan Weir style than Hastings and, 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 uh, and Finn. So, you know, he he gives that sort of different option. I suppose. I mean, I, I actually I totally don't think he's much better than Duncan Weir. But, um, you, you know, I, I think he's been doing a good enough job at, at Edinburgh to to sort of merit a, a call up.
0: Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one with, with Jacko and and Duncan Weir. If they're sort of potentially fighting out for that third spot. I guess. You know, I don't think it's worth going back into it, but when you look at someone like Duncan Ware who clearly loves playing for Scotland so much and cares sort of, and is so passionate about sort of representing his country, there is just like that little feeling when someone who, I you know, jacko I'm sure is a great guy and I'm sure he's like excited about playing for Scotland, but he clearly isn't going to have and won't have that sort of deep, innate des- like desire to sort of represent his country. And if, is this that strange feeling where you know is this, you you want people like Duncan Weir to be to be putting on that scholarship
2: yeah i think that's the critical distinction i think in all the conversations with Jacob van der Waal is you know i want to test myself in international rugby whereas duncan weir is you know he would die in a ditch to play one last game for Scotland type thing. And uh, there's that sort of distinction as to why they want to play. And we forget, Dunkey Weir's last touch for Scotland was a, he made a tackle which forced a turnover in the France game. So, you know, he's in hot Scotland form. Maybe that just carries right through.
3: And, I, and like, I, I think it is reasonable to, to question the, the residency rules, um, and you know, ultimately, like you know, Sh- Sean Maitland, for instance, comes over and it has been so good for for Scotland that like everyone is, is a massive fan of his. But 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 by the same sort of token, like when we when we spoke to Johnny Beattie, he he mentioned the fact that a few of those kind of guys who come over, particularly guys who qualified in residency and didn't really have any, um, or, or didn't have that kind of Scottish blood. That there was a sense amongst the squad, at least, that they they were there mainly to advance their own career rather than represent their their country, and I think that's that's a reasonable um, sort of criticism.
0: Yeah, I know, I agree. Just uh, just looking at just looking at the time, shall, shall we? Shall we finish up with uh, with the
2: quiz? I think I think I think absolutely, Alan. So um, over to you um, to introduce it, and then Matt and I will obviously be playing along. That's good. Right.
1: There.
0: There is thirty, and this is according to uh, ESPN. So just caveat anyone who comes at me with that's incorrect. According to ESPN, there is thirty stadiums in the world that Scotland have a one hundred percent record at. And 26 of them, it's one game. So they've played one game, won one game. And so that that includes stuff like McDermott Park or like King's Home from the Rugby World Cup. But there is four where there's, it's more, than a, there's more than one. So I'm going to give you a little brief five, ten seconds and have a think. There's four stadiums where Scotland have played more than once and have a 100% record.
2: Um, rugby park where Rug- rugby park in Kilmarnock yeah
0: that is correct two games 100% record is uh? do you know who the two opponents are
2: where that sort of Slightly jokey game against Japan. Is that where we put hundred on Japan, or was know, that Petodri? Edward Park, I think. That was the one game at McDavid Park, actually. <laughs> uh, um, they beat- in which case, Tonga. Yeah, because there was there was one game that we scraped by Tonga with a Ruri Jackson penalty in like the last minute. I remember. That
3: was Petodri, wasn't it?
2: Is that Pataudry? Well, basically I can't remember the two games at Rugby Park, but I can remember obscure games at Pataudry and McDermott Park. (laughs)
0: So the two games were Tonga in 2014 and Georgia in 2016.
3: Yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember that. I think that was, yeah, Ali, Ali Price and Rory Hughes set up a nice little hoggy try in that game. Yeah.
0: Matt, second stadium, what have you got?
3: Genuinely, I, I have absolutely no idea. Uh, the stadium in Tbilisi?
0: No, actually, the uh, I don't know what the... It's literally like the official Georgia stadium. We do have a 100% record, but we've only done it once. Dave, have you got any other guesses that you think might be correct?
2: Um, and this is the sort of the... Is it the pitch? Is it Townsville in Australia? So
0: that again played one 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 hundred percent record. I think. So what? I'll, what I'll do is I'll give you a little clue. I'll give you a couple. Can of I points. have another? Day. Yeah, go on. Is it the one at the
2: stadium in Dunedin in New Zealand?
0: No, we. Uh, I think if I remember correctly, we have something like a fifteen percent win record. Although I, that game definitely wasn't against New Zealand. Um,
2: yeah, I remember. Because obviously your your other half is from that part of New Zealand. I remember we discussed some random Scottish stat re- resulting in Dunedin, so that was why that was sort of swirling around in the recesses of my mind. I mean, you're very much on the right track. So should I just go further south and say Invercargill?
0: <laughs> um, two two nil to uh, to Dave. And actually, the reason I said where when you said Rugby Park. Is because the stadium in Chicago is also called Rugby Park.
3: <laughs> I didn't get a chance to contribute to that. By the way, you you just fed the clues to Dave, and I was a sort of silent, you know, uh, voyeur.
0: All right, stop crying, Matt. You you've got you got time to get back into this. Don't you worry. It's fine. I'm coming to you next, and I'll I'll slip you a couple of clues.
2: Okay. I was just I was just forcibly muting you, Matt. Just like hitting your mute button, as 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 is my right.
3: You genuinely have been as well.
0: <laughs> the uh, The two games, Georgia and Romania, obviously the twenty eleven Rugby World Cup. All right, Matt. The two other stadiums. One we've similar to the other two. We've played two one two, and at the other one we've played five one five. the The first one where we've played two one two is was in both games were in two thousand and seven. And the second one where we've played five one five, the games were from 1891 to 1909. For the 2007 one, I will take the city rather than the stadium specifically because I don't think anyone's going to get it.
2: Can I guess um, the one from like the 1890s that Rayburn plays? Or... It, is, it is not Rayburn Place.
3: Uh um is is the 2007 uh Lyon
0: in incorrect. Yes
3: oh.
2: Yeah, it's wherever we played our two crap um pool matches in the 2007 World Cup. I don't know. Marseille? Yeah. <laughs>
3: no my my doubt was somewhere really it it's not on the south coast I don't think of france
0: it's it's, it's 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 near near the alps it is i think it's called like the regions like the Rhone Alps i'm not pronouncing it correctly um two thousand and seven you're right rugby world cup. But the two games at Murrayfield against Portugal and New Zealand sorry against Romania and New Zealand and then we played Portugal and Italy in this one kind of um city in almost like eastern central France S-
2: since something.
3: Stop music. you just muted me before I said it
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah Sant Etienne 2 out of 2 Portugal and Italy the, the last the last stadium so 5 out of 5 between 1891 and 1909 the stadium is in the UK but, no idea. Uh, but not in Scotland
2: is it still a stadium?
0: Yes. We have all been to it.
3: Um, is it um, the Athletic Ground?
0: It is. Richmond Athletic Ground. Scotland played England five times in 1891
3: 1909
0: and won every single one. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, that was quite cool. It was a cool little stat. Yeah. <laughs> um, the other one, the, the, a couple of other quick questions. I'll, I'll make that uh, 2-1 to Dave, because I think you both got St Etienne. Um, there is say, a multitude of stadiums in which Scotland have a 0% record, but the uh, the stadium in which we've lost the most and never won is a stadium where we've played six and lost six. And I think, if I remember correctly, the last loss was 2011. And the first loss was in the 70s.
1: 1975.
2: So 2011 is obviously a Rugby World Cup year.
3: Eden Park?
0: Eden Park is correct. Forever. Um, yeah. for All right. Final tiebreak question. For stadiums in which we've played more than 10 games, what stadium in the world do we have the worst
2: record at? Millennium Stadium? I can sure.
0: Dave Leslie takes it. Millennium Stadium with 8% win records, which is, uh, and that's actually rounded up from 7.69. So it's a. Uh, Twickenham's actually... What is Twickenham? It's low. It's like in the tens. Yeah. 14%. Not great. But yeah. Well done, Dave. Hope that was mildly interesting.
2: Yeah. Thank you very much. Delighted to have um, have taken the win. Um, Well... We can finish up there. Actually, Jamie Lyle's just tweeted something. Do you remember the story he wrote about that South African lad who had grown up in Pilton and he'd come over to Edinburgh on a yeah. trial? Yeah, I saw. His that. name is Jare to Beju or something along those lines. He's just signed for the Ealing uh, Trailfinders.
3: Yeah, so there you go. All that good to see him get a contract, but clearly not um, in Scotland.
2: Clearly not good enough for for caucuses Edinburgh, but interesting. Another Scots abroad to keep an eye on. That caught my eye in the last two seconds. But anyway, it looks like we've got to the end of a podcast. Most of it looks like it's recorded. So hopefully this will be going out to you and you'll be listening to us tomorrow morning, Friday morning, ahead of Edinburgh versus um, Munster. And Glasgow versus the Scarlets. Until then, you can keep chatting to us on Twitter at Thistle Rugby Pod. On Instagram, Thistle underscore rugby underscore pod. Sign up to the newsletter, that's Substack, Thistle Scottish Rugby Podcast. And send us an email if you fancy it, thistlerugby at gmail.com. Until then, we'll speak to you soon.
1: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well.